Amen. Now I do bring out a Kleenex in a COVID-saturated world. I, I am not sick. I am cold. And uh, my nose gets cold. <laughs> not a cold, but just cold. <laughs> I am cold. If you would, go ahead and open your Bibles with me to the book of Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes chapter 3. And as you turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 3, how many of you enjoy or at one time enjoyed building with Legos? Yeah. Maybe you as parents are now getting to, to go back and to buy the Lego sets that you never had. <laughs> They actually have Lego sets now, and it wasn't just the blocks of Legos. You get all kinds of things that you can build. But now, in the, in the same time of asking you that question, I pro should probably ask, how many of you despise Legos? Um, there may be a few of you reluctantly to put up your hands, but you have those moments with little landmines scattered all over the floor, and you have that nice cup of hot coffee, and you step on one with your bare feet or socks, and you're reminded of the need for patience and a tempered tongue in those moments. Well, my son loves Legos, and I'll admit, as a proud father, he's good at building with his Legos. I love seeing the creativity. I love seeing the, the various creations while I'll also admit that most of his creations sitting around constructing imitation light cruisers and star destroyers and AT-ATs and everything that has to do with Star Wars, like those are the constructions that he's building. Well, this past Christmas, he got several different sets of Legos to build. And to be honest, he and his mother and I initially thought that some of the sets might be a little too advanced for him. Not only the 12 plus, there were some that were 18 plus. And I'm thinking, how could this be 18 plus? Like, you're 16, you're not able to do this? Like, like there were some advanced sets of, of Legos that were given to him as gifts, and he quickly proved us wrong. He was able to construct them, methodically working through the instruction manual, step by step by step of what were some pretty massive builds, like 1,700-piece-plus builds that he began to work through. And I was thinking with some of these, I was like, oh, great, this is going to take him, like, days <laughs> to build, like, one of them. Some parental time of reading and relaxation and quiet I'm looking forward to in those moments. And he's done with one in, like, a day. And a few hours moving through these projects, but regardless of the size of the build, they all start the same, don't they? Small or large, a box with a picture on the front of it. And that's the aim, that's the goal. This is the promise of what it's going to look like when it's all done. And then you open the box and you got numbered bags full of pieces. And you begin to follow the instructions. Step by step by step until you reach completion. And the hope, the plan, the idea it is when you're done, your work will look like the picture on the box, right? And it will. If you follow the instructions, 
one step, one piece at a time. But now anyone who has ever built one of these sets will tell you following the directions isn't always easy. It's not always as clear as we would like it to be. It can be downright frustrating at times to be able to see how it all works together. Even the best of intentions can lead to to some mistakes along the way. Mistakes that you make like 10 steps back will affect you as you go forward without even realizing it. You may even find some tears from the builder along the way. Which tells us what? Well, it tells us that Legos are a lot like life. Legos are a lot like life. Every every life, however long it is, comprised of a countless number of pieces. Big pieces, small pieces, really teeny, tiny, frustrating pieces. Some coming together nice and easy and others... They kind of come through with some trial and error along the way. And still others are needing some help to be able to figure out and to maneuver through. But every single piece serving as an important part of fitting together and connecting to comprise the story of life. This is what the preacher, the author of Ecclesiastes is telling us today. In Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 1 through 15. You didn't think that this was about Legos, but it is. Let's read together. For everything there is a season, and a time for every matter under heaven. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to seek and a time to lose. A time to keep and a time to cast away. A time to tear and a time to sow. A time to keep silence and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. What gain has the worker from his toil? I have seen the the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from beginning to the end. I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also, that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. God has done it, so that people fear before him. That which is, already has been. That which is to be, already has been. 
and God seeks what has been driven away. Now this text, particularly the first eight verses, uh, are, are or is incredibly well known. And it's probably the one that I have shared most frequently at the graveside services I've conducted. I don't typically use it or preach it in the funeral itself, but I save it for the, the last words at the graveside. Because I believe that it's a text that helpfully reminds us in a very poetic way that there's a time and there's a place given by God for everything. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. And in that moment, after reading these words at the graveside, after reading this text, I'll, I'll often say something as looking at the family and say, this, this is our time to weep. This is our time to mourn. But for we who are in Christ, we do not weep or mourn as those who have no hope. We will laugh again. We will dance. And I remember as I said these words, like in that moment, like of saying that we will dance at a particular graveside service, the widow of the deceased gave a little chuckle. She gave a little chuckle in the moment that everybody could hear as she wept, as did some of the family that were gathered around her. I was a little kind of like, okay. Later that afternoon, she laughed again as she shared of her husband's total inability to dance, <laughs> though he tried. And when I read and said those words at the graveside, that's what she remembered. That's the memory that came to her mind. His inability, but silly, attempts to dance. <laughs> and she laughed. She laughed as she wept. And that's something that has always amazed me about the human existence. How weeping and laughing coincide and overlap even in the darkest and most difficult seasons of our lives. You ever notice that? It feels awkward laughing at a funeral or a visitation line, doesn't it? Especially when you're the one who's there to bring comfort to somebody else. You, you feel kind of guilty laughing in such a moment. But we, we do. And my question is why? Well, that's where the text today, I, I believe, comes into play. As the preacher tells us in verse 1, for everything there is a season and a time. Every season, every moment of life serving as one of however many countless numbers of pieces to our story. Some pieces that we clearly recognize as significant, don't we? These are the ones we look back upon and and we see how they, they've shaped us into who we are 
today. We can clearly see like the Lord using these particular events or this particular season to, to shape us by these things. We, we, we see it. We may regret some of the decisions that we made. would have done it again, different if we had an opportunity to do it again. But we even recognize if it were not for those decisions, good or bad, we would not be who we are today or where we're at today. So we look back and, and those events, we're like, okay, I can see how the Lord has used all these different pieces to bring us to where we're at now. We see how it fits together. While at the same time, there are other things that we, we just can't make sense of, can we? We simply don't understand the purpose, the plan, and they leave us asking why. Why? Like, I don't, I don't understand. These are often the tragedies, the trials, the things that our finite minds cannot make sense of especially when we begin to contemplate and think about God being a loving God. And then how many other things are there that we don't even give a second thought over? How many things about our morning thus far or the day that we had yesterday, we don't, we don't even give a second thought to, we just do them or go about life and we look back and we can't even remember them. They're just random pieces of an ordinary day, right? Random little pieces that we may not even think about, but they're far from insignificant in the grand big story that God has written, whether we realize it or not. This is the story of our life. Millions of little pieces fitting together to build the story of one's life. But this is also what we cannot forget, church. Even our, our personal, oh, those really big, significant times in our personal life are small. Even minutely tiny pieces in a much larger story. And see, what these opening verses do is they weave together ever so poetically to describe the rhythmic patterns and pieces of a life in all its various seasons, and all of its emotions. The preacher very clearly telling us there's a season and a time for it all. And none of it, absolutely none of it, is without purpose. And with that in mind, here's the question the preacher wants his listeners to answer. What do we gain from the time that we have been given? It's a question found in verse 9. What gain has the worker from his toil? So you take all of life, every bit of it, everything we do, every big piece, every little piece, every TT tiny piece. What do we gain in the end? When our life is complete and our time is, is done, what do we gain from all the work that we have done under heaven, under the sun? This is the question, again, that the preacher wants us to be thinking about. And to help us get our answer, he shares a few key observations that he has made. One, how God has made everything beautiful in its time. And notice the word everything. 
again. So in verse 1, when, when he stated, for everything there is a season and a time. And then here in the first part of verse 11, he says, God has made everything beautiful in its time. That was such a needed reminder, at least for me. Because sometimes life's beauty is really hard to see, isn't it? The fog or the straight-up darkness of certain seasons of life can easily cause us to forget that which is good and lovely and beautiful. Cause us not to see what God is attempting to teach us in those moments. Can even cause us to doubt God's goodness. To doubt God's plan. To doubt God himself. Because it just doesn't make sense. But God is telling us through his word, trust me. Trust me. Everything is beautiful in its time. Everything. I can't tell you how many times sitting in a hospital room, a hospice house, or at a funeral, a loved one has said, I, I can't believe that of all the memories I have, all the years, all the times, and these are the memories that are coming to my mind in this moment. You ever felt that way? Time of grief, and you've got the most random of memories popping up in your head. Like a memory of dancing while grieving at a graveside. Like, who knew in that moment of spontaneous, goofy dancing <laughs> that that would be the memory that would surface at a graveside memorial? Who knew? It wasn't a plan, like, moment to say, Hi, this is going to be a moment that's going to last forever. It was just a spontaneous moment, moment of goofiness. You wish nobody else would ever see. <laughs> it's just a goofy moment in time that God, in his merciful providence, tucked away in the recesses of, of your mind to, to comfort you at the appropriate time. To give you a laugh, <laughs> as a brief reprieve from the tears, at just the right moment, at just the right time. Oh, isn't God good? Even consider for a moment why we weep. Like why? Why we weep and why we mourn when, when someone close to us dies. Yes, it's sad. It's tragic. And death is our greatest enemy. But the reason that we weep is because before we wept and before we mourned, we loved and we laughed and we danced. We enjoy the beauty 
in its time. However so fleeting or however long that time may have been, we enjoyed it. But church, our, our tears are also the powerful, powerful reminder that life's not supposed to be this way. It's the perpetual reminder of the brokenness that abounds in a fallen world. A perpetual reminder of the peace that we're longing for and we want. And even if we seem to find it for a moment, it's fleeting. It's never lasting in this world. It doesn't last long enough. More trials come along. Thus, the preacher's reminder in the second part of verse 11 that God has put eternity into our hearts. Notice the wording there. He has made and he has put. Two little but very important words teaching us of God's sovereignty over everything. Notice the text again there. He says, he has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also put eternity into man's heart. Yet, so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. What's the preacher doing here? Well, he's describing our inability to view life's big picture. And how we live in time and are bound by the constraints of time. While at the same time, longing for eternity, whether we realize it or not. We know that there's more. We want more. We always want more time. But we don't know how it all works together, do we? We cannot see the end from the beginning. It's so hard for our finite minds to grasp. This is where we're all like kindergartners. Trying to grasp the concept of time. You ever thought about that? Jen Wilkin tells the story of her children's kindergarten teacher, Mrs. Greek. I don't know if that's her real name or not. That's the name that she was given, Mrs. Greek. And how Mrs. Greek explained at the, the meet the teacher night uh, for each of her children how, how difficult it was to teach the concept of time to a five-year-old. She shared how at the start of each school year, each Monday, she would instruct the class to, to write out in their journals and, and write at the top of the page, today is Monday, yesterday was Sunday, tomorrow is Tuesday. The class followed her instructions and harmony reigned. That is until Tuesday came. Because on Tuesday, when the process was repeated, she gave the instruction to write, today is Tuesday. And immediately, as soon as she said that, looks of confusion flooded the faces of her students. Like, hold up. And then the moment that she instructed them to write, yesterday was Monday, hands began to go up in the class. Mrs. Greek. You told us today was Monday. She would then explain, no, 
Monday was yesterday. Today is Tuesday. But Mrs. Greek, you told us tomorrow is Tuesday. No, today is Tuesday. Tomorrow is Wednesday. The children were confused. They didn't understand the lesson. They couldn't wrap around their minds around this paradox. Why? Because five-year-olds have a very difficult time grasping the concept of today, yesterday, and tomorrow. The problem wasn't with what the teacher was teaching. The problem was with the inability of the students to understand what the teacher was teaching. Oh, how applicable an illustration this is to our inability to understand eternity and a God who extends the bounds of time. He tells us everything is beautiful in its time. But we so often don't understand how, do we? It doesn't make sense to us. But again, here's the thing. It doesn't have to make sense to us. We don't have to understand. But we must trust the one who does. One of the Lego creations my son worked on over Christmas was a model Yoda uh, from Star Wars. The thing was 1,771 pieces. He was so proud of that thing when he finished it. Like, and it looked great. It was awesome. I didn't have the heart to tell him that, that the hand was on backwards because overall it, it looked great. I was amazed. Like, he did way better than I could have done. A couple days later, he and I are watching a ball game in the other room. And we hear a crash, followed by a scream, followed by, I'm so sorry. Leslie had accidentally knocked Yoda off the table. Heads off, pieces everywhere. Son is, well, let's just say very sad and frustrated in that moment. But now if I would have told my son that two days after he completed Yoda, it was going to crash to the floor. Now, do you think that he would have been working on this project and done it with as much joy and determination as he had done? No, probably not. Like, why? Because he would have, he would have done what we're all prone to do. He would have been continually focused on the bad that was about to come and not enjoyed the journey. Not enjoyed the process, not enjoyed the time while he had it. He wouldn't understand the purpose of building it. If it was all going to come crashing down anyway. Made me think of the story of Joseph. First, his, his brothers sold him into slavery. Essentially, in that moment, his life came crashing down, or so it would appear. That's the way he felt, I'm sure. 
Then he was falsely accused by Potiphar's wife and thrown into prison. Interprets a dream only then to be forgotten for more years. And essentially over 20 years pass before he rises as second in command over Egypt. And he's able to look his brothers in the eye and say, what you intended for evil, God intended for good. See, Joseph wasn't sitting in prison knowing how his story was going to play out. He had no idea how his story was going to play out. For all all he knew, he was going to spend the rest of his life in prison and die there. Probably thought he'd never see his father again, no matter what happened. Never promised even that he would. But what did Joseph not do? He never stopped trusting the one who was sovereign over time. Now, does this mean he didn't have questions? Oh, no, I'm sure he had plenty of questions. Like a five-year-old trying to understand today, yesterday, and tomorrow. All kinds of questions, all kinds of confusion. Wondering if God had forgotten him. Not understanding the pain, or the sorrow, the loss. But he kept trusting. And friends, that's the key to genuine faith. Trust. Trusting that God is connecting the pieces of our life in a way that we may never be able to make sense of. But in a way that is beautiful and good and right. Trusting that the Lord is the one who makes the crooked path straight. Trusting that he will make that which is broken in this world right. Why? Because he promises us he will. Now remember how I told you that the completed Yoda's hand was put on backwards? Well, when Yoda came crashing to the floor, his hand, along with his head, and all the other pieces that shattered were the pieces on the floor. Now, was that a part of my son's plan at all? No, it was not. As I said, he was very sad and frustrated that this event had happened may not have built it and definitely would not have enjoyed building it the way he did if he knew what was about to happen. But here's what that crash allowed to take place. It gave me as his father the opportunity to tell him it was all going to be okay. It gave me another opportunity to remind him to trust me. Trust me. It's going to be okay. And then what did I do? I, we, we put what was broken back together. Piece by piece. This time with a hand on straight. That which was broken was made new. And friends, this is what God is doing and promised to do within this broken world. It's the good news of the gospel. Consider Joseph once again. Even after he told his brothers what they intended for evil, God had planned for good. He still didn't understand the even bigger picture that God was working in his life. That God sent him ahead to Egypt, yes, to preserve life, but specifically to preserve the line of Judah, from whom would come the Christ the Savior of the world. 
See, we can't control our yesterday. It's gone. It's done. The sins that we have committed, they have been sins, they have been taking place. Tomorrow, oh, those days, it will bring its own worries, its own trials, its own pieces to God's plan. But what we do have is today. And what are we to do with today? There is nothing better, the preacher says, than to be joyful and do good. And when difficulties and trials come and tragedy strikes and those setbacks occur and dreams are delayed, we pick up the pieces and we keep pressing on in faith. We eat and we drink and we take pleasure in all of our toil, all of our work, everything we do, even when it comes crashing down in our minds. Why? Because the time that we have been given is a gift from God. The time that we have been given is a gift from God. Even the parts that we don't understand. And of course the question is how? How do we really make the most of the time that we have been given? This may sound overly simple. Don't worry about yesterday. Don't worry about tomorrow. Enjoy today. Live for today. But this going back to what we looked at last week, and if you have not listened to last week, oh, please listen to last week so this can make sense in context. Enjoy the pleasures that God has given, yes. But enjoy the pleasures God has given in the way that he as our creator has designed for them to be enjoyed. Don't wish the seasons of life away. They're fleeting enough as it is. Rather, embrace the time we've been given as the gift that it is and use it as the giver of the gift intended. Remember the poem from week one? I won't repeat the entire poem. Just the refrain. Only one life to live will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Which is a reminder that whatever God does endures forever. Which sounds simple enough. <laughs> But the implication and application of this are massive. Because again, God is sovereign over it all. Just consider who among us chose to be born. None of us. Or who among us chose the family or the culture that we would be born into. None of us. We may or may not have been a part of our parents' grand plan in their life. But each and every one of us are part of God's grand plan. As Jeremiah 29, 11 famously tells us, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans, the preacher tells us here in Ecclesiastes, nothing can be added to, nor anything taken away from. They're set. They're not happenstance, and they're not random. Which is a truth that tends to make some people uncomfortable. Maybe even you, if we're being honest. Leads some to think and ask, like, what is the purpose then? 
if nothing can be added to and nor anything taken from God's plan, then, then what do our decisions and what do our actions even matter? And while I get the question, believe me, I've asked the question. It's a question that comes from between the horizons of a life lived under heaven. It, it comes from a life that is lived, a mindset is lived between a life lived under the sun. It's a question that is asked by we who are bound by time. From one who can't see the cover of the Lego box, if you will. We don't know how all the pieces fit together. Or what our life is intended to look like in the end. We think we do, but we don't. And we definitely don't know how our life and our story is being used in the bigger story. Which can lead us to worry and anxiety and frustration. And trying to piece our life together on our own without following the wisdom of God. You know what that is? It's the path of folly. But church, this is where we can't forget that God is timeless. Above time, if you will. He sees yesterday, today, and tomorrow all at the same time equally. He sees and knows and ordains how every single piece fits together. He's written the end from the beginning. He makes the impossibly crooked path straight. That which is broken, he restores. And I find this to be the most comforting truth in all of the world. So, so comforting. And here's why. Because it means even the most tragic moments in our life. Our biggest mess-ups our seasons of mourning and weeping, none of it is without purpose. Now, like Joseph, we may never understand the ultimate purpose. But God's sovereignty assures us that there isn't one thing that happens in this world that is void of meaning and void of purpose. Not one. Because whatever God does endures forever. As verse 15 tells us, that which is already has been, that which is to be already has been. Friends, there is nothing that we can do to change the past. Nor is there anything that we can do to change the future. Well, Jeremy, that just sounds horribly not encouraging. There's nothing we can do to change the future? No. But friends, I'm going to tell you, this is encouraging. I promise you, this is encouraging because the key word there in those sentences and that phrase is we. There's nothing we can do. Our works will never be enough. Like trying to build a Lego creation, 1,700-piece Lego creation without a picture, without instructions, and expecting it to turn out right. It's not going to happen, no matter how hard we try. We can't, but God can, and God will, because God has. As verse 15 tells us, God seeks what has been driven away. 
And how does he do that? How does he fix what has been broken? How does he make the crooked path straight? The timeless one entered into time to seek and to save the lost. To make the crooked path straight. To redeem that which is broken. Galatians 4.4 telling us, When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And then after living the sinless life under the sun that we were intended to live, at the exact appointed time, Jesus went to the cross. And at the exact appointed hour, Exact appointed moment, he declared, it is finished. And he died. Not a minute before, not a minute after, as Romans 5, 6 reminds us, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. But could the grave hold him? No. Because on the third day, not the second day, not the fourth day, but the third day, just as Scripture promised, just as Jesus himself told his disciples on three different times, he rose from the grave. And we're told that at the right time, the determined time, he will return and the dead in Christ will rise with him. See, when we stop and we think about it, friends, we can say Jesus is always on time. He knew when it was time to plant and when it was time to scatter seeds. He knew when it was time to heal, welcoming the crowds to come and lovingly healing them. He knew when it was time to rebuke. He knew when it was time to break down. He also knew when it was time to build up and to teach when it was time to weep, when it was time to mourn. Emotions that he knew full well that he experienced himself. He knew when it was time to seek and when it was time to cast out, when it was time to speak, when it was time to be silent. He himself suffering in silence as he went to the cross. Like a sheep, he was led to slaughter. Like a lamb before the shearers, is silent. So he opened not his mouth. And friends, the reason Jesus was always on time is because he's sovereign over it. And because he's sovereign over it, we can trust him when he says, for everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. So friends, for now, or whatever season you find yourself, now is the time to live. Now is the time to live. Now is the time to live for Christ. To follow the wisdom of God. The instructions that he has given. And trust that in the end, every piece will connect just as God designed. And that it will be beautiful in its timing.
Only one life to live, which will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Let's pray together. Oh, Lord, we thank you. We thank you that you are sovereign. We thank you that your providential plan is good and right and beautiful. And Lord, forgive us when we don't trust you. But Lord, as your children right now, we pray that you'll help us to trust. Give us your wisdom. Give us the ability to rest in your plans. Help us to rest in Christ and his finished work. Lord, help us to see what is beautiful now. We ask in Jesus' name.